0: Chapter 4 of the Fathers of Confederation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Barrett. The Fathers of Confederation. A Chronicle of the Birth of the Dominion. By a h Cahoon. Chapter 4. The Hour and the Men the acceptance of federation in the province of canada came about with dramatic simplicity political deadlock was the occasion rather than the cause of this acceptance racial and religious differences had bred strife and disunion but no principle of any substance divided the parties the absence of large issues had encouraged a senseless rivalry between individuals Surveying the scene not long after, Goldwyn Smith, fresh from English conditions, cynically quoted the proverb, The smaller the pit, the fiercer the rats. The upper and lower branches of Parliament were elective, and in both bodies the ablest men in the country held seats. In those days commerce, manufacturing, or banking did not, as they do now, withhold men of marked talent from public affairs but personal antipathies magnified into feuds embittered the relations of men who naturally held many views in common and distracted the politics of a province which needed nothing so much as peace and unity of action the central figures in this storm of controversy were george brown and john a macdonald easily the first personages in their respective parties the two were antipathetic their dispositions were as wide asunder as the Poles. Brown was serious, bold, and masterful. MacDonald concealed unrivaled powers in statecraft and in the leadership of men, behind a droll humor and convivial habits. From the first they had been political antagonists. But the differences were more than political. Neither liked nor trusted the other. Brown bore a grudge for past attacks reflecting upon his integrity, while Macdonald, despite his experience in the warfare of party, must often have winced at the epithets of the Globe, Brown's newspaper. During ten years they were not on speaking terms, but when they joined to effect a great object, dear to both, a truce was declared. We acted together, wrote Macdonald long after of Brown, dined in public places together, played euchre in Crossing the Atlantic, and went into society in england together and yet on the day after he resigned we resumed our old positions and ceased to speak to imagine that of all men those two should combine to carry federation seemed the wildest and most improbable dream yet that is what actually happened in june eighteen sixty four during the session of parliament in quebec government by party collapsed in the previous three years there had been two general elections and four cabinets had gone to pieces. And while the politicians wrangled, the popular mind, swayed by influences stronger than party interest, convinced itself that the remedy lay in the federal system. Brown felt that Upper Canada looked to him for relief, and as early as in 1862 he had conveyed private intimation to his conservative opponents that if they would ensure upper canada's just preponderance in parliamentary representation which at that date the liberal ministry of sandfield macdonald refused to do they would receive his countenance and approval in eighteen sixty four he moved for a select committee of nineteen members to consider the prospects of federal union it sat with closed doors a few hours before the defeat of the tachet macdonald ministry in june he the chairman of the committee reported to the house that quote, "a strong feeling was found to exist among the members of the committee in favour of changes in the direction of a federative system applied either to canada alone or to the whole british north american provinces and such progress has been made as to warrant the committee in recommending that the subject be referred to a committee at the next session of parliament" End quote three years later on the first dominion day the globe in discussing this committee and its work declared that a very free interchange of opinion took place in the course of the discussions it appeared probable that a union of parties might be effected for the purpose of grappling with the constitutional difficulties macdonald voted against the committee's report brown was thoroughly in earnest and the desperate nature of the political situation gave him an opportunity to prove his sincerity and his unselfishness on the evening of tuesday june fourteenth eighteen sixty four immediately after the defeat of the ministry on an unimportant question brown spoke to two conservative members and promised to cooperate with any government that would settle the constitutional difficulty these members alexander morris and john henry pope were on friendly terms with him and became serviceable intermediaries they were asked to communicate this promise to macdonald and to galt the next day saw the reconciliation of the two leaders who had been estranged for ten years they met quote, standing in the centre of the assembly room quote. the formal memorandum is meticulously exact in these and other particulars that is neither member crossing to that side of the house led by the other macdonald spoke first mentioning the overtures made and asking if brown had any objection to meet galt and himself brown replied certainly not morris arranged an interview and the following day macdonald and galt called upon brown at the st louis hotel quebec negotiations ending in the famous coalition began the memorandum read to the house related in detail every step taken to bring about the coalition from the opening conversation which brown had with morris and pope it was proper that a full explanation should be given to the public of a political event so extraordinary and so unexpected but the narrative of minute particulars indicates the complete lack of confidence existing between the parties to the agreement the relationships of social life rest upon the belief that there is a code of honour affecting words and actions which is binding upon gentlemen the memorandum appeared to assume that in political life these considerations did not exist and that unless the whole of the proceedings were set forth in chronological order and with amplitude of detail some of the group would seek to repudiate the explanation on one point or another while the general public would disbelieve them all to such a pass had the extremes of partyism brought the leading men in Parliament. If, however, the memorandum is a very human document, it is also historically most interesting and important. The leaders began by solemnly assuring each other that nothing but, quote, the extreme urgency of the present crisis, end quote, could justify their meeting together for common political action the idea that the paramount interests of the nation threatened by possible invasion and by commercial disturbance would be ground for such a junction of forces does not seem to have suggested itself after the preliminary skirmishing upon matters of party concern the negotiators at last settled down to business mr brown asked what the government proposed as a remedy for the injustice complained of by upper canada and as a settlement of the sectional trouble mr macdonald and mr galt replied that their remedy was a federal union of all the british north american provinces local matters being committed to local bodies and matters common to all to a general legislature mr brown rejoined that this would not be acceptable to the people of upper canada as a remedy for existing evils that he believed that federation of all the provinces ought to come and would come about ere long but it had not yet been thoroughly considered by the people, and even were this otherwise there were so many parties to be consulted that its adoption was uncertain and remote. Mr. Brown was then asked what his remedy was when he stated that the measure acceptable to Upper Canada would be parliamentary reform based on population without regard to a separating line between Upper and Lower Canada to this both mr macdonald and mr galt stated that it was impossible for them to exceed or for any government to carry such a measure and that unless a basis could be found on the federation principle suggested by the report of mr brown's committee it did not appear to them likely that anything could be settled at this stage then brown thought federation should be limited to canada believing the larger scheme uncertain and remote while the others preferred a federal union for all the provinces at a later meeting cartier joined the gathering and a confidential statement was drawn up the disinclination to take one another's word being still a lively sentiment so that brown could consult his friends the ministerial promise in its final terms was as follows the government are prepared to pledge themselves to bring in a measure next session for the purpose of removing existing difficulties by introducing the federal principle into canada coupled with such provisions as will permit the maritime provinces and the northwest territory to be incorporated into the same system of government and the government will seek by sending representatives to the lower provinces and to england to secure the assent of those interests which are beyond the control of our own legislation to such a measure as may enable all british north america to be united under a general legislature based upon the federal principle this basis gave satisfaction all round and the proceedings relapsed into the purely political diplomacy which forms the least pleasant phase of what was otherwise a highly patriotic episode creditable in its results to all concerned brown fought hard for a representation of four liberals in the cabinet preferring to remain out of it himself, and when his inclusion was deemed indispensable, offering to join as a minister without portfolio or salary. Finally, Macdonald promised to confer with him upon the personnel of the conservative element in the cabinet, so that the incoming liberals would meet colleagues with whom harmonious relations should be ensured. The Fates ordained that, since Brown had been the first to propose the sacrifice of party to country, The arrangement arrived at was the least advantageous to his interests. He had the satisfaction of feeling that the Upper Canada Liberals in the House supported his action, but those from Lower Canada, both English and French, were entirely unsympathetic. The Lower Canada section of the ministry, accordingly, remained wholly conservative. It does not require much depth of political experience to realize the embarrassment of Brown's position. The terms were not easy for him in a ministry of twelve members he and two colleagues would be the only liberals the leadership of upper canada and in fact the real premiership because tachet was frail and past his prime would rest with macdonald the presidency of the executive council which was offered him unless joined to the office of prime minister was of no real importance some party friends throughout the country would misunderstand and more would scoff He had parted company with his loyal personal friends Dorian and Holton. If, as Disraeli said, England does not love coalitions, neither does Canada. For the time being, and as events proved, for a considerable time the Liberal Party would be divided and helpless, because the pledge of Brown pledged also the fighting strength of the party. Although the Union issue dwarfed all others, questions would arise. Awkward questions like that of patronage, old questions with a new face on which there had been vehement differences for two of his new colleagues macdonald and galt brown entertained feelings far from cordial cautious advisers like alexander mackenzie and oliver mowat counselled against a coalition suggesting that the party should support the government but should not take a share in it all this had to be weighed and a decision reached quickly but Brown had put his hand to the plough, and would not turn back. With the dash and determination that distinguished him, he accepted the proposal, became president of the Executive Council, with Sir Etienne Taché as Prime Minister, and selected William MacDougall and Oliver Mowat as his liberal colleagues. Amazement and consternation ran like wildfire throughout Upper Canada, when the news arrived from Quebec that Brown and MacDonald were members of the same government at the outset brown had feared that the public mind would be shocked and he was not wrong but the sober second thought of the country in both parties applauded the act and the desire for union found free vent posterity has endorsed the course taken by brown and justly honors his memory for having at the critical hour and on terms that would have made the ordinary politician quail rendered confederation possible there is evidence that the conservative members of the coalition played the game fairly and redeemed their promise to put union in the forefront of their policy on this issue complete concord reigned in the cabinet the natural divergences of opinion on minor points in the scheme were arranged without internal discord this was fortunate because grave obstacles were soon to be encountered if george brown of upper canada was the hero of the hour georges cartier of lower canada played a role equally courageous and honorable the hostile forces to be encountered by the french canadian leader were formidable able men of his own race like dorian le tellier and fournier prepared to fight tooth and nail the rouge as the liberals there were termed opposed him to a man the idea of British-American union had in the past been almost invariably put forward as a means of destroying the influence of the French. Influential representatives, too, of the English minority in Lower Canada, like Duncan, Holton, and Huntington, opposed it. Joly de Lotbiniere, the French Protestant, warned the Catholics and the French that federation would endanger their rights the rouge resistance was not a pass of parliamentary resistance only because later on the earnest protests of the dissentients were carried to the foot of the throne but all these influences the intrepid cartier faced undismayed and brown in announcing his intention to enter the coalition paid a warm tribute to cartier for his frank and manly attitude this was the burial of another hatchet and the amusing incident related by cartwright illustrates how it was received in that memorable afternoon when mr brown not without emotion made his statement to a hushed and expectant house and declared that he was about to ally himself with sir georges cartier and his friends for the purpose of carrying out confederation i saw an excitable elderly little french member rush across the floor climb up on mr brown who as you remember was of a stature approaching the gigantic fling his arms about his neck and hang several seconds there suspended to the visible consternation of mr brown and to the infinite joy of all beholders pit box and gallery included at last statesmanship had taken the place of party bickering and as james ferrier of montreal a member of the legislative council remarked in the debates of eighteen sixty five the legislators all thought in fact THAT A POLITICAL MILLENNIUM HAD ARRIVED. END OF CHAPTER FOUR